Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, one of the things that's always puzzled me is why there is so much religious strife in the world when, by all indications, there is only one God. If you go to Hinduism, for example, or the other Eastern religions and philosophies, they teach that at the base of the self is Brahman, one mind, one consciousness. This is a theme that we probably know that the New Agers or the New Spiritualists have picked up with their theme that there is one mind, one consciousness. It's also the conclusion that some quantum physicists have reached, such as Amaka Swami and even Deepak Chopra, who believe that at the root of existence is one consciousness. And in fact, when you read the perennial philosophy, the, the, a book by that title of by uh, Aldous Huxley, that's sort of what that book is about, that most spiritualism is rooted in the belief that all is one. Now, when we get to the Bible, which is the main source of stories about God, and by the Bible right now I'm going to mean the Torah, and I'm also going to mean the New Testament, we talk about God, but God goes by different names. Now, if there is truly one God, though, then the course of human history, it may be, is to understand this truth. Maybe this is just something that the human race has not quite come to grips with, the reality of the fact that there is one God, but maybe we call the same God by different names, and this is what gets us into trouble. So perhaps we could start bridging the chasm between different religions, between different interpretations of what God is, by understanding the real name of God. Now this is also the title of a new book by today's guest, Rabbi Wayne Dosick. He is the host of his own radio show entitled Spirit Talk Live. He's also the director of the Soul Center for Spiritual Healing with facilities around the world. He's a former faculty member of the University of San Diego and the author of several books, including Living Judaism. He lives in La Costa, California. Welcome to the show, Wayne. How you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. How are you? Great, great. Well, uh, your, your book really has a provocative title, The Real Name of God, Embracing the Full Essence of the Divine. So let's, let's start off by just trying to understand why it is important to know the real name of God. Well, there are many, many reasons. The first is, as you indicated, there are so many names for the one perfect God. And while you're right that uh, Hinduism has uh, oneness consciousness, it also has at least 99 names for God. Right. And uh, Judaism has 
uh, scores and scores of names, and Christianity has the Trinity, and um, other faith communities have other names for God. So my first question was, why does the one perfect God have so many names? My second question was, how is this one God who is portrayed as loving, compassionate, and who has given us a, a set of moral behavior to live by, which has survived the generations because it is so um, perfect. How does that one God also come across as angry and harsh and militant and male and hierarchical and authoritarian? So I began looking at the issue of how is it that this one God has so many different faces. Well, well, and I, I think you put your finger on something there, which is that a lot of critics of religion, and let me uh, name one, and that would be Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. They make, he and others make note of the militant feature of the God of the Bible and ask the question, well, how can... Uh, this this uh, being that that uh, kills people, that tortures people, that requires people to give up their children. How can this be uh, a being that is worth worshiping? And what? But but you go beyond that, and it seems to me that you that you conclude that really what we're looking at in men is the many is one of the faces of God. Is that is that one way to put it? Yeah. So if thank you. So if, if uh, you picture a beach ball with its multicolored panels, each one of the panels of the beach ball is one of the names of God. And each of those names reflects one aspect or one attribute or one manifestation or one behavior of God. But none of the names is the name of the whole God of the whole beach ball. So indeed... One of the panels of the beach ball is an angry, militant, harsh reflection. And so many people, because that name is the main name of the Bible, which Jews call Adonai, uh, scholars call Yahweh, yud Hey vav Y-H-W-H, because that's one of the main names of God, many, many people get stuck there. But that, indeed, is only one of the panels of the beach ball. So my question was, what is the name of the whole beach ball? And could I go back into the Bible itself? And by this, this uh, I mean the Hebrew Bible, which is, as you pointed out correctly, the Torah, but also prophets and writings that makes up the whole Hebrew Bible. Could I go back into the Bible itself and find the name of the whole beach ball hiding there in plain sight for all these years, just waiting for the right energetic moment in time to be revealed, and I found it. Okay, so so th- let me let me try to uh, get this straight a little bit here, and that is, in order to do your research, uh, I take it you were doing it um, through the original Hebrew. Correct. Okay, so so um, in the original Hebrew, what the characters in the Bible um, d- refer to throughout the stories is is are, are different faces of God to begin with and then from the other standpoint 
in in the Bible, we we hear God speaking through different faces or through different, as you point out, different parts of the beach ball. Is is that so? So so we have maybe God taking different spiritual forms. Is that is that one way to put it? Uh, different purposes. Okay. So, for example, in the the sixth chapter of Exodus, it says, "I appeared, God speaking, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai." El Shaddai is one of the names of God. It implies a feminine aspect of God as well as the male. It's a, it's the wholeness of God, male and female together, and it was the perfect aspect or panel of the beach ball of God to nurture the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then the sentence continues, but my name, yud vav Yahweh, Adonai, I never revealed to them. This is the moment in history when the full source, that is, the beach ball, is changing panels, changing names, to reveal a different aspect of God. And why is Yahweh coming in right now? Because at that point we need the mighty hand and the outstretched arm to uh, confront Pharaoh and get the people out of Egypt. So there is a massive change in the face of God that is being presented at that moment. Well, it it seems as if the the analysis or or this investigation begins with with the with the given fact that the Bible itself uses different names to refer to God. Correct. Is, is that right? Okay. The so Bible, the Bible itself does, uh, and then later on in Judaism, uh, in what we call the rabbinic period, uh, more than a thousand years after the Bible, well, more than a thousand years. There are a whole bunch of other names that are that are uh, attributed to God. Again, they are all attributes or aspects of God. So yes, one of the things I wanted to know was why there are so many names for supposedly this one perfect God, and why the main name that we get is this militant, authoritarian, male, domineering, often harsh and angry God. Now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that's awfully that that's usually dangerous, um, and and I'm am doing this because and, and this this happens all the time and it's it's and, and and we'll probably get into it. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you a question that you probably can't answer, but I think you're gonna answer it anyways. And out here and 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 here's the question: Why would the one God let himself or herself be called by different names? because we all relate in different ways. Let us say, for example, that there are five or six children in your family. And you may call your father daddy and your mother mommy. But your brother or sister may say ma or pa or uh, pops. Um, We all relate in different ways often to the same person or to the same entity. And that's one of the issues of this moment in time. That, uh, and you alluded to this in your introduction, 
the reality of the world right now is that so many people be, uh, seem to be singing the song, My God's Better Than Your God. Right, right. And that's getting us into massive amounts of trouble. Right. And the reality is there is one God who is the parent of us all and who loves us all and doesn't really care if uh, you call God uh, Yahweh or Adonai and you call God Jesus and you call God Allah and you call God whatever, because that one God says, come to me any way you wish, my child, but know that I don't really care what you call me or how you address me or what you think uh, I want to be worshipped in a particular language or religion or called by name. I love you all. There is oneness in this world. I'm one God. You are one people, and and the reason I believe that I was given this revelation and, and I made this discovery at this moment in time, and I must tell you that the sages knew throughout history, and they left us hints in their writings, all of which I put in the footnotes in the book, The Real Name of God. They knew, but it wasn't the right energetic moment in time. It is the right energetic moment in time now because we have come to the place and the reality that we will either have to get along and all live together or we will perish together. Yeah, no, I think I think that is great and I think I think that is something that separates your book from others. And what I what I like to do here is I like to think about trajectories. And in the in the new consciousness movement, which on this show we have a lot of folks who are of that movement and I don't know if the movement has gotten a name yet, but I but but new consciousness is as good as any right now. And one of the themes of that movement, which parallels, I think, the the uh, theme of Eastern religions, is this concept of rising up in consciousness until you re- and, until you understand that all is one and that you're part of this oneness. Okay, now that sounds like sort of a mystical statement, but it also but it's also part of our world and, and, and forms uh, part of the fabric of spirituality throughout time. But, but added on to you, or, or what you do here, is I think you're giving a different trajectory that's heading in the same point, which is that if there is only one God, and I am, I am a believer that there is and there has to be, then, then all these, then all of us that are calling God by different names, and you alluded to Hinduism. We know the Trinity in Christianity. We know the big problem with Allah in in the Quran, which we'll get into a little bit here. But if, but if, if at the end of the day, everyone's talking about the same God, then it really is up to us to come to terms with that fact and to understand the depth of that truth. And, and I think that's part of the problem we're having. We're getting lost in names. <laughs> and and, and it, it's sort of like a very simple way to put it would be that we're getting lost on the surface. We're not, we're not understanding the depth of, of, of the concept. And, and so I think that, 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 that it's extremely important. I'd like you to talk a little bit more about how you believe that this is the right, quote-unquote, energetic moment. For this, well, you're right about 
this being a mystical approach, and there is nothing wrong with that. You you sounded almost apologetic. We do live in a very rational world, but there was a uh, 15th century Jesuit priest, Dujardin, who said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Right. We are children of God. We are children of the world of spirit. Uh, in the, since the Enlightenment and the Emancipation 250, 300 years ago, we have lived in this incredibly rational world, and uh, matters of the spirit have been eschewed, but we are spiritual beings. And so that's uh, part of what I did in this book, because in the second half of the book, uh, The Real Name of God, uh, there are 30 chants and prayers and meditations and poems that, that help us connect to, uh, to God. You see, if I'm right, there are four things about this discovery that are so very important to the world. The first is that the name of God, and by the way, we haven't mentioned it yet. Would you like me to tell you what the name of God is? Well, first of all, this is this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to Rabbi Wayne Dosick, and we're just about to learn the real name of God. Okay, go ahead, Wayne. The, the, the real name of God is Anochi, one of those words. Yeah, okay. But you can uh, think of it as, as in Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, Anochi. Uh, Anochi usually is translated as I, but we have another word in Hebrew for I, which is the small self, the personal ego, the Anochi is the fullness, the completeness, the wholeness, the totality. So it's a perfect name for God. And it's used 359 times in the Bible, and every time it is in the voice of God, it is when God is, is uh, the fullness of God has to be uh, there for the event of the teaching, vital to the event of the teaching. And it's also used in the voice of human beings, when a human being is saying, how do I come into the fullness of my God self, of God within me? And so that's one of the things about uh, the discovery. First of all, anochi is a genderless word, or better, it's a genderful word. So we don't have the problem of he, she, it. We have the reality that God is the everything of the everything, male and female, light and dark, right and wrong, good and evil, justice and mercy. The wholeness, the totality of God is... is uh, the everything of the everything, and since we are created in the image of God, we are the totality, we are the everything of the everything. Jung reflected that in the human archetypes. The second thing is that it gets rid of the notion of that harsh, angry God, knowing that it's only one panel of the divine beach ball. The third thing is that we, are, that we remember that there is the transcendent God of creation and history, and the imminent God, the God who is within us, the breath of each human being is the breath of God. That's what makes us live, animated human beings. And so God is within us. And the fourth thing is the oneness consciousness. So in the back of the book, the second half of the book, uh, I offer chants and prayers and meditations and poetry to help each person get in touch with God in a deep, personal, intimate loving way. We're very good at the communal covenant. Uh, in our synagogues, in our churches, in our mosques, in our temples, we come to God as a community. We need as well to come to God in a deep, 
personal, intimate way. And I think as I think as you say, either in your I think you say this in I think you say this in your book, but I've I've heard I've heard you say this elsewhere, that there's all sorts of ways for the individual to connect with the one God. I mean, you 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 favor or at least encourage the use of chance, but I think you point out that meditation, exercise, um, other uh, yoga, o- other means are dance, available. Movement, uh, any way that the prayer, study, any way that a, a person can go out beyond him or herself and come to the divine is a worthy way to do so. Now, now, if you're if 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 you're reading an English translation mm-hmm. of the Bible, and, and in front of me I have the King James translation, uh, is is Anaki used in in the in the English translation, or should we be looking for a different term uh, instead of that word? Well, you should be looking for the word I. Okay. So, for example, the Ten Commandments. Right. Begin. Or the the declaration of faith says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might." And these words, which which I source, command you this day. It means that um, that Anochi is the CEO and has appointed a COO, which in the in your King James will be translated as Lord. That's Yudhei Vavhei Adonai Yahweh. And uh, the CEO is, is telling you that uh, this is my representative on earth right now, and you are to love my COO the way you love me, the CEO. Um, the, the Ten Commandments begin that way. Uh, um, over and over again. Uh, some people might say, yes, but God says, tell the people I am that I am. And that's true. But that whole sequence, uh, when the conversation is taking place between Moses and God, begins with Anochi. Anochi, I source, and the God of your ancestors. Um, Moses was the only one at that moment spiritually high enough to be able to be in relationship with Anochi. Um, the people weren't so, uh, theologically or spiritually sophisticated enough yet, even energetically. And so God says to them, I am that I am. In Hebrew, it's a play on the, on the word being. It means I was, I am, I will be. So it is the, the, the eternity of God that is being uh, uh, put there. So anywhere you see, and then when it's in the voice of a human being, as in, am I my brother's keeper when Cain kills Abel? And God says, where are you? Where are you? What, God lost to Cain? You know, there are only a few people on earth. Couldn't have lost him. He knows where he is. She knows where he is. So God's really saying to Cain, hey, what's happening? Where, where are you at yeah. in modern parlance? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I Nochi, my God self? Because Cain doesn't know the rules of earth yet. And so he's saying, how do, how do I understand that I'm responsible for anything more than myself? How do I understand the God within me? Well, 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 that's that's the other uh, prong of my question here, which is in your book you at times refer to uh, the real name of God as Anaki 
eye source. Anoki. Anoki, yeah. I'm not going to be able to get that guttural sound going. All right, well, I'll well, do try, the... <laughs> uh, try the Italian dish, Noki. Oh. Anoki. Anoki. Just get that in okay. there. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to tell you, I have to go back to my French class, and, and uh, it's a, sort of the same thing about rolling your R's. It just, <laughs> it, it just, it just never worked for me for some reason, yeah. but uh, but I think it's something that you could probably Well, think learn. Bach. Just Bach. think Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah, I call Bach Bach. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Old Chicago, about, that's my boy. All I know, right, I know. What can I say? So, so what about the eye source? Where, what does that mean? That's simply how I translate Anochi. Okay, I source. I God see. is the source of everything. God is the source of all, and so I translate Anochi as I source. Well, well, what what comes up here? And this this is to me really the the challenge for our time, and 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 that is figuring out whether uh, what we call God is eminent or transcendent or both. Now, I think you just said both. Correct. Right. right? Now, so, so, but, but here, here's my problem with that. My problem with that is, is whether there could be such a thing as spiritual dualism. Because when we say it's transcendent, what do we mean? Do we mean physically transcendent, or do we mean beyond something we could understand? Not beyond something we can understand, but beyond something that we can do. Okay. God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of each and every human being. No matter how far we have come scientifically, technologically, medically, we can't do those kinds of things. You mentioned a story at the before we got on the air, and uh, do you mind if I tell that sure, story sure, now? Go ahead. I think it sure, illustrates sure. perfectly. The scientists came to God and said, God, we love you, we honor you, we respect you, but we've come to say goodbye. We don't need you anymore. And God said, Really? Why is that? And the scientists said, Well, because the one thing that you can do that we can't do is create human beings ex nihilo, out of nothing. We figured out how to create human beings out of nothing, and so we don't need you anymore. God said, really? Please show me. So the scientists reached down and picked up a clump of earth and began to shape it and mold it, and the God says, ah, use your own dirt. Yeah, I love that story. That so is, yeah. that so is... transcendent means that God is the God of, of creation, the God of history, and those are the things that we can't do. Imminent means that God is within us. Uh, how did Adam become a living human, animated human being? It was, we were told in the very beginning of Genesis, the breath of God within him. And so that's what it is with us. God gives us breath and we are, we, when we are born and we come in and we are children of the universe, we are children of God. When um, God takes away our breath, we die and we return to the dust. So God is within us. Now, I want to make very clear and you mentioned the word dualism, so I want to make very clear. That's the oneness of God. Right. And at the same time, unlike some New Agers, it is not an undifferentiated oneness. I am of God, but I am not God. The elephant is of God. The orange is of God. The table is of God. Uh, the scientists might call the table slower-moving molecules, I call the table God, of God, not God, 
but of God. And so we human beings are of God, but we are not God. There are certain things that only the transcendent God can do. It raises it raises the question. Well, I, I guess first of all, I want to make the point that there is an inspiring part to this. If if the list if the listener hasn't noticed, I mean, I think that there's a, an an inspiration here that may not be consistent with what you're saying, but it's but to me, the one of the goals of life is to reach reach beyond what we think we are, our mere humanness, and try to be more like God. So I think that I think that part of living is constantly transcending what we are. And and I find that consistent with what you're doing because the the God within is constantly trying to reach the God without. Exactly. Okay. And so the transcendent God says to us Here's my beach ball, and on the, in the beach ball there's, there's a panel of evil, and you have evil within you because you're created in my image. But here's my panel of good, right. and I show you both, and I ask you to choose the panel of good much more than you choose the panel of evil. That would be my choice, says God. I've given you free will, sometimes, tragically, you choose the panel of evil more than you choose the panel of good. So I'm asking you to choose the panel of good and raise us up to the highest level we can be, human beings and God reflecting. You know, it says, it says we're in the image of God. It also means we're in the reflection of God. And what does God want to reflect most? God, in this case, wants to reflect the panel of good more than the panel of evil. So you are absolutely right. God tells us to strive to be as godlike as possible with the finest and the highest qualities of God. And I think that this is this is one of the criticisms of organized religions that that can be made. And I'm I'm going to speak in a big big uh, picture here and not name any particular religion. But there are uh, some some faiths uh, or some people that practice the faiths that that say they would pray to. Um, a, a statute or something, and and they would want they want the statute to make them better people, and or or they want or they or they want the image of God to make them better people, as if it's something that is imposed from without upon you, and and when you take away sort of the the images though, what what we really have is something I think much more simple, which is which is humans. Uh, uh, created in the image of God, trying to be more godlike. In fact, it's a constant striving, isn't it? It's a constant process. It's not something that you wake up one day and say, "Oh, well, I think I've made. It. I think I've made the grade." I mean, I, I think that it's a constant process because uh, it living, whether frankly you're godlike or not, is a challenging process. There are there are these things called other people around that and 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 stress and pressures and and food to put on the table and and housing and and jobs and raising children the whole this whole thing it's not easy but i think that if we keep in our minds that we need to strive to be godlike i think that is i think that's a really good attitude to have well i think you're absolutely right philip and uh you know, I always jokingly say, if you don't like organized religion, 
come to my place. We're so disorganized that you'll love it. Um, but, That's a good way to but put one it. Of the, thank you. One of the chants mm-hmm. that uh, I have in the book, by the way, the chants aren't there because you can't hear a book. So there is a CD of the chants, which uh, people can find at the website, www.godgodisanochi.com. And as we used to say on the south side of Chicago, you can listen to them free for nothing if you want. Um, or you can buy a download or buy a hard copy CD, which we'll send to you. Um, and you can hear there are more than 30 chants in the book. One of them we made from a psalm that says, I place God before me always. What does that mean, I place God before me always? Well, the kids on the street might say, I put God in my face. And what does that mean? It means that God is everywhere. We just have to be consciously aware. So if we are constantly aware, and this, this chant helps us to remember, if we're constantly aware that God is everywhere, in front of us, behind us, with us, on the side, on the right, on the left, above, below, yeah. then everywhere we turn, there's God in our face. And it means, in practical terms, that when you go, for example, you know, you go into the bank, and the clerk takes forever, and you're in an incredibly long line, and you're getting more and more frustrated. Or you go into the convenience store, and the teenager behind the counter can't make change for a dollar bill without using the computer. Or you're in traffic um, in Chicago where you are on on the Edens or on the Eisenhower, and somebody cuts you off, and you're ready to curse out that person or be so frustrated. If God is in front of you, if God is between you and that person, then... First of all, you act more godlike because you have more tolerance and more compassion and more understanding, and you realize that God is with that person too. So that person is a child of God, and if that child is a person of, uh, of God, and you and, and that person is a child of God, and you are a child of God, then as the uh, as the Hindus say, Namaste. The God in me acknowledges the God within you. We can't fight with that other person because that other person is an extension of us. We are all children of God. And that's how we become more and more aware of the oneness of God, the oneness of of the world, the oneness of all people. And I think that what you're saying here is not just sort of an intellectual conclusion. I think the problem that we have as as a, as a society is that we don't bring these truths into our daily lives. But that is really, I think, the challenge. Now, th- this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Rabbi Wayne Dosick about his new book, The Real Name of God, and we're about to turn, in, turn to a controversial topic that is going to illuminate the, the point that I just made about how it's difficult to bring these concepts into real life, and that is talking about the Koran. And, and I, I want to, and I think that there's, there's nothing to me that more sharply ilum, uh, illustrates the problem that we have when we use different names for God than, than the conflict between um, Jews and Muslims. And, it's, and, and there's other conflicts out there, but just focusing on this one, I think it's, it's very easy to say from one standpoint, why all the fuss when, when, when you ultimately are praying to the same God? And, and I, I'd like to have you talk about that a little bit, because 
because I think that this conflict shows how far we really have to go to understand the true name of God. Well, first I'd like to talk about how far we've come. Okay. Um, I grew up in the south side, southeast side of Chicago, and uh, it was mostly a Polish Catholic steelworkers neighborhood. Those of you in the area know the area. And um, when we were young, I mean little, late 40s, early 50s, we all played together on the playground, and then we went to public school, and the Catholic kids went to the local parochial school. I still remember its name, St. Mary Magdalene. And by the time I was seven, eight, nine, I was being beaten up on a regular basis by my friends who had learned from their priests and nuns that I, Wayne Dossick, had personally killed their Lord. Yeah. Move forward 50, 40, 50 years. I am a rabbi on a faculty of a Catholic university teaching the only courses in Jewish studies in the Department of Religion, working with the Monsignor for Mission and Ministry to create an all-faith service for the first Friday of the spring semester, where people of all religions come to the Immaculata to pray in each in his or her own way. At one point, I preached from the pulpit of the Immaculata, standing next to a statue of Jesus. And one of my dearest and most intimate friends in the world has become a Jesuit priest. Now, look at where we have come in only 50 years. Yeah, that's great. After the, the Crusades and the Inquisitions and the pogroms, now, a rabbi's on a faculty of a Catholic university. So that took one person, took the, the, the twinkle-eyed Pope John Twenty-Third, who was touched truly by the Holy Spirit and um, brought about reconciliation. There was a time when Jews and Muslims were as close as possibly could be and worked together uh, for the great betterment of the world, this is what the Jews still call the Golden Age of Spain. And, um, and over the years, there, has, there have been splits and there have been um, uh, issues. And you are right. We have come to a place where um, the, the Koran is being grossly uh, misinterpreted by extremists, who become, by radicals who become extremists, who become terrorists because they say, our interpretation is right, we know the will of God, and you better believe us, or we will use terror to impose our beliefs on you. Right. Um, you know, it may be, this may be utterly naive, but we don't know the Muslim community. We knew the Christian community, and the Christian community knew the Jewish community. We don't know the Muslim community anymore. But if we begin dialogue, if we begin talk, if we be as, as crazy as it sounds, take a Muslim to lunch. Right. When we have individual relationships, then the the uh, militancy uh, begins to break down. I no more could uh, uh, say anything nasty about uh, the Catholics because Father O'Leary is my friend, and he could no longer say anything even though when he grew up he he prayed for the perfidious Jews, he could no longer say anything nasty about Judaism because I'm his friend. So the reality is that we have to begin to understand each other, and we do that on a one-to-one human basis, and we appeal to uh, the moderates to begin to have a influence on their more radical brethren. 
and we understand that there is one God who loves us all, who is the parent of us all. We teach that everywhere we possibly can. Hopefully somebody who uh, didn't understand Judaism or Christianity or God uh, is listening to this program today or the many other programs that I'm on or that I go to in places where I go to teach, and more and more and more we can come to understand each other that God does not want God's children fighting with each other or uh, trying to be dominant over each other. God wants all God's children to love each other. God is love. You know, they, they ask, what's the purpose of life? You go to the, you climb the mountain to go to the guru. It, you don't have to climb the mountain. The purpose, the purpose of life is very simple. The purpose of life is to know God and to know that God is one and that God is love. You know, in, in, in my second life, <clears throat> I, I practiced law, and, and the one thing good about, there's a, there's a couple of things good about practicing law. One of them is, is that when you ask somebody a question under the right circumstances, they have to answer the question. And, and I, I think that there's, a, there's an underlying question here, which is, do Muslims and Jews, and we would add uh, Christians onto this, do they have the same God or not? I mean, yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and so if they have... There's so, only one God. Right, we right, have so, to have the right, same God. Right, right. And so if that's true, then, then number one, like you're saying in your book... Once you understand the real name of God, and we could and we can get away from this this semantical issue that there is one God, then it's just a matter of understanding to me the depth and the power of God. I think that's what gets lost, and I think that those who uh, who who bring who sort of invoke the name of God for their own personal cause whether it's going to battle or whether it's preaching or whatever, for a private cause. I think that they are sort of um, shortchanging the concept, trivializing God, because because you cannot possibly invoke the one true God for a private cause when that cause is to do harm to somebody else. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And and so so I think that that, to me, Wayne, is is the rise in consciousness or this energetic moment or this evolution we're undergoing where we're sort of shedding some of these preconceptions and rising up on this ladder of awareness and realizing, hey, there's something really big we're dealing with here. We can't, like, sort of use it for our own private uses, our own private purposes. And, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Perfect. Well, well, that that's sort of that's sort of to me, that's that's what's exciting about the, about the about the era that we're living in, and and you know, there's nothing wrong with being um, optimistic and 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 being and you know having um, having this wide-eyed uh, uh, optimism for the future, and I think that's one thing that you also do um, in your book which is sort of the dream of religion and the and the I would call it the dream of humankind which is bringing back the garden you know going back bringing back the garden on earth the eden on earth well one of the chants that that we wrote and is in the book and and uh, on the cd goes like this it says 
One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. Eden on earth. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. Eden on earth. And thy will be done. Not what I say is your will. Not what I uh, prescribe, proscribe for you. But your will, O oh God. Your will will bring Eden on Earth uh, once again, and I and I think and I think that that's that's I think that's I think that's beautiful and and the the point I want to emphasize here and frankly the reason I do this show is because we have very we have a lot of people coming from different perspectives different starting points reaching the same conclusion. And, and and what you've done is using the traditional uh, Bible, but 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 being open-minded, interpreting it in a way such that we we understand the real name of God. And the purpose of that in the end is to me is to get rid of all the 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 names and which which divide us, get to the bottom of things and realize, that at the end of the day, we could call it by all sorts of different names, but at the end of the well, day, well, I do want to say that I do want to say this, sir, right. and that is that oneness does not necessarily mean sameness. Right. There is great beauty and great worth in the different paths and pathways and journeys that we are on. Right. So uh, Father O'Leary doesn't want me to be Catholic, and I don't want him to be Jewish. Everybody, the only the thing that we have in common is that we know. We come from God, we're going to God, and we relate to God on the journey. Some of the paths that we build are long and narrow, some are very wide, some we walk on in silence, some we walk on in chant, some we walk on um, in, in, in ecstasy, some we walk in in quiet meditation. Each one is worthy and meaningful and beautiful, and so as long as we know the origin and the destination, how we build the journey can be beautifully different. It doesn't have to be the same. Uh, and at the same time, we know that it is the journey of oneness. And I want to indicate here, if you haven't already realized this, that I, I, I'm very radical on this point because I, I think that over time, and it could be centuries, and it's, it's not going to be next week, over over uh, over time over centuries the 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 religions are going to fade away i think the organized religions are going to fade away they'll still be part of history they'll still be part of the of, of spiritual tradition but when we start facing each other in this purity in this in this understanding that there is one god then then we start taking away our differences you see we start taking away you know, we we'll still have we'll we'll still be different. I, I completely agree. We'll still have different nationalities, and 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 maybe we'll still have different religions, but is but as as soon as we reach this point where we understand there's a lot more that that joins us from the spiritual religious tradition than divides us, then we start focusing on the common elements instead of the differences, and, and so but th that's me. I'm radical. I'm coming from a different standpoint here, but uh, but I think it's so important to respect the different interpretations, and I think the Dalai Lama 
uh, has done this in terms of the you know the brotherhood of religions uh, or this the, his his um, emphasis on compassion. But I think that's only the first step. I think that beyond compassion and beyond understanding, you then have to see, you know, sit down at this table and say, hey, maybe maybe we should start um, agreeing on more. Maybe we should start sort of forming a new uh, united uh, spirituality. But of course, as I, I as I warned you, I'm I'm pretty radical on this topic. Well, I don't think that's radical at all. I think that uh, what you are talking about here, sir is going to become the mainstream and you're right it will it may take decades and centuries but we are at the beginning of that process and again it doesn't mean that we want sameness because um, one day i want to eat italian food and one day i want to eat mexican food right. and one day i want to eat greek food and uh, one day i want to eat corned beef sandwiches and it's all it's all good right it's all good as long as we respect each other and uh, live with each other and love each other uh, but you are, I, I don't know how religion or the organized religion uh, business is going to um, uh, going to, to, to be, but uh, the Talmud, the Compendium of Jewish Law, says that when the Messiah comes, the Jewish ritual will have no more place, right. because ritual is the touchstone, and it reminds us of the soaring ideas and ideals of our faith communities. And so you're right. Some, so many of the, the individual and unique uh, manifestations will fade away when we understand the, the unity and the oneness of who we are, whom we uh, serve, and the word and the will that we are to live. Well, I think that's I think that's re- I think that's very well put, and and I and I want to sort of give you another sort of spin on this, which is which is that I I think that it's pretty clear to me that one of the purposes of of ritual organized religions, and it probably it, you know, and it does it clearly applies to me to Judaism, is 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 not to forget the one true God, <laughs> and, and and because if you don't have those rituals, if you don't have those those common sort of traditions, then then the different then everybody could get lost in their own their own little world. I mean, we could be back to the. I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned before ninety nine Hindu gods. I think there's thousands of. I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, well, some say ninety nine, some say nine hundred ninety. Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts. I mean, there's all sorts of them, and it's sort of like if there's one message that I think is so, so, um, how can I put this, inspiring and so important from when I read the Old Testament or the or the Torah, is 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 basically uh, the one God's basically telling telling his people, know who I am and do not forget who I am. And, and that—that's the message that I get out of. It. I mean, that's the big message I get, and, and I think that that is so important because because if you have that going through history, if you have that faith, that loyalty, that understanding, then when when we reach this point that where we start ingraining into ourselves that we are part of the beach ball, <laughs> the, the one God. 
then then we will have fulfilled history's purpose. Uh, and so so I I think that this is all I think this is all great, and I I, I think it's 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 wonderful that you've that you've done something here that sort of to me links uh, traditional uh, Bible research with some of these sort of uplifting messages we're getting from um, the modern age. Well, thank you so much. And, and God also says in the same Bible, you know, the prophet Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says God. And so right. in this great technological age, when we think the power of the universe is in our hands, we need to remember that it is actually in the hands of God. And and I and I think that that's uh, that's that's well said. So this is this is Philip Mirton. Uh, this is conversations beyond science and religion. Uh, we've been talking to Rabbi Wayne Dosick about his fascinating new book, The Real Name of God. And before we close here, uh, Wayne, why don't you just talk a little bit about more about uh, how people could find out about your book and learn and and you have your own radio show as well. So why don't you tell people about that? Thank you. Uh, the book is called The Real Name of God, Embracing the Full Essence of the Divine, published by Inner Traditions Baron Company. It is available in bookstores. It's available on online booksellers, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And um, the CD with the chants, as well as a separate little booklet called The Care and Feeding of Your God Self, and an Anochi poster, are all available on the website, which is www.godisanochi.com. And um, the truth is that uh, Amazon sells you the book um, less expensively than I do, <laughs> but if you want the uh, first edition autographed copy, you can get the book on the website as well. So the book, the CD, the booklet, and the poster are all available, as well as the seven-minute video of me telling you about uh, the ideas in this book, as well as access to all my other books. This is my ninth book, and um, my other books are also available on the website. And if you'd like to listen to me each and every week, uh, uh, Wednesday mornings, 11 a.m. Pacific time, so it's 11, 12, 1 Chicago and 2 New York, and actually all over the world because it's on the Internet. You go to the Internet, healthylife.net healthylife.net, and there is my program every Wednesday, Spirit Talk Live, Journeys into Mind, Heart, and Soul, and we always invite you to come on the journey, join in the quest. Well, that's great, and, uh, you know, what I try to do on this show, I try to get have guests who are doing something different, who are looking at these age-old problems in a new light that are pushing the envelopes, that are uh, trying to open minds to to new ways of looking at things, and uh, Wayne's book, The Real Name of God, is one of those books I would recommend you get. You you put on your bookshelf, you read it. It's it's not hard to read. It's mind opening. It's got a lot of great little stories and vignettes in it. Uh, and I just want to emphasize at the end here that knowing the real name of God is incredibly important. And we have to get over these superficial distinctions that we have when we approach this grandest of all concepts and realize the infinite depth of God. And when we do that, 
I think that we, we, we will instill upon ourselves a greater awareness, a greater appreciation uh, for the fact that what joins us is a lot greater than the little differences we have that separate us. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Wayne, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 